and welcome to the captain's table where we discuss the stories that have shaped star trek in words my name's michael and with me as always is roz hi roz hi michael great to be back for another show here we go we're on a roll we are, yes, I know we're <laughs> rattling through these at higher rate knots, uh, especially considering when we decided to bring the show back that we were vehement about like keeping it slow and steady yeah. and manageable and that we weren't going to do too, pack it in too many recordings. But just the way that it's worked out, we're like doing one after the other, we're doing like one a week and it's been great because we've got so many in the bank now. Oh, it's good and, and so many to come and, and already our schedule's planned ahead to look to October, which is, which is brilliant in terms of reviews, interviews, and, and a few other bits on the way. Yeah, and we've been so fortunate with how many of the, the authors have been really keen to come on the show. And now, I mean, not even authors, but we are have got um, Robert Petkoff is coming on the show uh, next week. And that will be fantastic because we'll be able to get a totally different perspective on the books from the, the man who reads them for Audible. Yeah, that's going to be amazing. I'm I'm really looking forward to that. And again, that's something different, something we haven't done before. So that should be really good, good fun. Yeah, and as always, um, we, the authors that we have spoken to in the past, there's new content. There, there's been new novels that have come out. Um, we're in a totally different place now in terms of the world and the political landscape, and that will have had an influence on the books. And so it's going to be great to talk to them again and just get a real fresh perspective on their writing and what's changed since the last time we spoke to them. Yeah, very much so. And and also, as as we say, also Star Trek itself has changed in many ways. Um, since uh, Discovery launched and all the new shows relating to that. And, it, and it's good to see how, how all the authors and, and friends of the show see Star Trek now compared to where it was five, ten years ago. Yeah, uh, definitely a, a new generation of, of Star Trek now, no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah. but I mean, yeah, in, in the same way that... Um, Deep Space Nine, even to a certain extent, the latter half of TNG were, were a very far removed from the original TOS. Now we're seeing shows coming out uh, like Discovery and Picard that again are very different from the Star Trek that we've known in the past, but they're, they're relevant to the day, they're relevant to the current style of uh, filmmaking, or not filmmaking, you know what I mean, TV yeah. shooting and um, storytelling. And so that's, you know, you roll with the punches. It's all, it's all Star Trek in, in my eyes. It's all uh, just somebody's new interpretation of, of the core intent. Um, and as long as the, the, the sort of essence of Star Trek is still in there, um, and the main elements and, and those those values, which I know some people, we kind of had to dig deep to find them in yeah. the first <laughs> season of Discovery, but but the second season did a lot better with that. As long as those sort of core values of of striving for a better future are still in there, then I'm willing to give it all a go and, and see what comes from it. But definitely it's now spawning um, a new generation of books to go along with those TV series. And that's brilliant. Anything that means that we get more Trek content is a-okay in my book. No, absolutely. And more Trek fans, which are good for those who like the books or just the TV shows. So it's really good to see, like, again, this new generation of fans coming along and hopefully they'll go back and, and, and discover everything that we've enjoyed over the years. 
Yes, I was uh, having a, a conversation on Twitter with um, with some of the fans about um, starting our kids off early. My husband and I have got the Star Trek Golden Books, which uh, for anybody who's not heard of them are like little board books, very short board books aimed at, at young children. And they're about, uh, they're, they're sort of based on Star Trek. So they've got the characters and whatever in them, but they're aimed at, at being like a children's story so there's one that's like a children's adaptation of the trouble with troubles episode from tos <laughs> but obviously done in very like brief sentences on each page and the lots of colorful illustrations oh. <laughs> showing you what happens in the story i know you've got the star trek abc's like a is for alien <laughs> there are so many different races <laughs> that's brilliant um, so i was like if our son grows up and isn't a trackie it will not be for lack of effort yeah. on my part <laughs> yeah. he'll be able to go back and listen to, listen to us record these shows and and <laughs> hear about us trying to indoctrinate him into star trek <laughs> yeah i know that's uh I will love him just the same if um, if he's not a Trekkie when he grows up. But I would definitely feel that it will it will be something that I would love to share with him if he if he did end up liking it the way that I did because it's something that I shared with my family, my parents, and it's the same on my husband's side. He his he shared it with his uh, parents. So um, yeah, <laughs> it won't be for yeah. lack of effort. <laughs> oh, that'd be anyway, that was a bit of an aside. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's nice. It's good to catch up and chat like this. So it, it just feels great. So there you go. So what have we got for today, Roz? So today we're going to be talking about uh, Dayton Ward's most recent book, which is a, based in the TOS era and it is called Agents of Influence. Um, and for those of you who have not read it, I will give you the brief synopsis from the back of the book. For years, Starfleet intelligence agents have carried out undercover assignments deep within the Klingon Empire. Surgically altered and rigorously trained in Klingon culture, they operate in plain sight and without any direct support while collecting information and infiltrating the highest levels of Imperial power. Their actions have given Starfleet valuable insight to the inner workings of Klingon government and its relentless military apparatus. After three of Starfleet's longest serving agents fear exposure, they initiate emergency extraction procedures. Their planned rendezvous with the USS Endeavour goes awry, threatening to reveal their activities and the damaging intelligence they've collected during their mission. Tasked by Starfleet to salvage the botched rescue attempt, Captain James T. Kirk and the crew of the USS Enterprise must discover the truth behind a secret weapons experiment while avoiding an interstellar incident and the potential to ignite a new war between the Federation and one of its oldest adversaries. And now we've got that out of the way, um, we will be talking about the book. We will try and not give away the big reveal from the end. I think. Yes. <laughs> Although I, okay. I think we gave it away in the interview with Dayton, so be warned. Yes. <laughs> if you've not listened to the interview with Dayton, yes. I think we give away the, the big twist in that, but it was very difficult not to when, yeah. talking, about the, when talking about the book. But. No, exactly. Well, first of all, that's a, a great blurb and, and that should get you straight into the story um it or get you wanting to read the story it's really exciting and i remember when we first spoke about this um and when we spoke to to dayton that you said that the first couple of chapters after the agents are exposed or feeling they're going to be exposed and their escape out of klingon territory was just such fast paced wasn't it 
Yeah, I, I think I likened it to um, like those action movies where they drop you straight into the middle of you know a big chase scene and you you right into the action, you're straight into the excitement, it really draws you in and there's that um, that intrigue while you get drawn into the story to work out right who are these people why are they being chased what are they trying to escape from where have they been and it, it was yeah it really it, it was it read like the first kind of opening scene of a of an action spy thriller movie um before you then get into the slightly slower and meanwhile elsewhere <laughs> part <laughs> that takes you over to the to the enterprise and and you get a bit of exposition there but yeah it was really good and i think the fact that that it was based on chronos as well you I mean, we, we have an understanding of who the Klingons are and how dangerous it would be to be a spy, a Federation spy within the Klingon Empire and how bad that would be if you got caught. Yeah. So there's, there's real stakes. Like, you understand the stakes involved that these, like, getting caught is not an option. Right. <laughs> You're not want to be taken prisoner, prisoner by the Klingon Empire and find that you've been, you know, involved in espionage. So um, I really felt for them and, and they really take it down to the wire as to whether they're all going to make it off or not. <laughs> no, it's really exciting. And, and as you say, considering it's a, a, a TOS book, we don't really get to, to um, hear from Kirk or the Enterprise till much later in the story anyway, which is good. And it's really setting the foundations. And where, where it says in the blurb about botched rec rescue attempt, that it certainly is botched. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It, uh, it does not go to plan. Um, but that's fair enough. It makes it a much more interesting yeah. story. If it had all gone to plan, we wouldn't have a book. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it is, it is, um, it's a very good intro in that it really draws you into the story there's no like slow plodding build up um, and sometimes you do have to kind of struggle through the first few chapters of a book until you really they do a lot of scene setting and then you get into it and then it, you know from there on it's a great story but this is this is not one of those it gets you straight in into the action you're fully up to speed within the first couple of chapters and then bam you're straight on with the rest of the story so i think the pacing from the the very first page is excellent in this book and i really i think we sort of commend Dayton for that when we talked yeah. to him that um that was one of the first things that struck me about this book was just the pacing was fantastic it's relentless and 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 you're right there's nothing in this book that shouldn't be there there's no padding um, no chapters are just strung out. It, it's just relentless and it's a good pace. And, you you know, we both listened to this on Audible. Um, however, if it was a book, it would certainly be a page turner. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I, I think I, I will. Um, there are going to be some books that I'm going to get the hard copy as well, yeah. just <laughs> because you do want to be able to just go back to them and, and refer, reference them for the podcast and for the reviews that we do and and this is one that i think we'll read again and again so i would love to read this as a hard copy book when i get a chance to actually you know sit <laughs> sit and have yeah. some time to read a hard copy book sometime <laughs> in the future no absolutely this is one i'll take on holiday with this is what definitely and and just relax and 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 read it again and, and like most good books you'll always find something new in there to, yeah. to to read or discover 
Yeah, and there's a lot of there's, there's um, a lot of references in this book to other Trek. I mean, one of the things even from the first um, those first chapters that I know we were not even past this first yeah. section yet, but the, those first chapters with that whole um, scene setting where they're trying to get off Kronos, there's reference in there to Enterprise because they make reference yes. to the fact that there are different types of Klingons. Um, those who have descended from the, the, the ones who, who had the, the augment gene yeah. therapy stuff that, that made them look like more like humans. This was um, Enterprises. For those who have maybe not seen Star Trek Enterprise, go watch it. It's a great show. Um, they explain or they make an attempt at an explanation as to why the Klingons from TOS don't look like the Klingons yeah. from the rest of <laughs> Star Trek yeah. uh, thereafter because uh, and the reason given was that they were experimenting with this uh, this gene therapy that uh, made the human augments as strong and as fast and as intelligent as they were but in messing with it they accidentally introduced like, human genes and DNA yeah. into the Klingon um, subjects that that took the gene therapy and it made them look like humans so they lost their forehead ridges they they weren't as as big and bulky and all the rest of it so that's how they explained it so these um the the humans that have been made to look like klingons apparently it was easy to make them look, look like klingons because they look like this particular uh, sect of or caste um from within the klingon society who are um descendants of those who were altered to look like humans so they've got they do have ridges but they're not as pronounced and they're not as physically large and imposing and it meant that they were able to pass within society looking kind of a bit human and a bit Klingon and that was why it was easy to 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 infiltrate uh, and I really like that I like the yeah. idea that we get a bit more um a, a kind of broader understanding of Klingon society and that there are we, we already know that there's like the warrior cast and there's the scientists and that there's um, issues between how they're both seen within the society. But now within that, we've also, we've got the like, the kind of pure blood uh, Klingons yeah. who are very ridgy and very big and imposing. And then the ones who are in this little subset that are descended from those who were kind of tainted with human DNA. And so they don't have as pronounced ridges. They maybe look slightly less Klingon and slightly more on the human side so uh, that was interesting that was i i like that and i like the fact that it brought in that reference to to um star trek enterprise and we won't even mention the kelvin universe Klingons. i don't know how we'll how we'll explain those um going, going back to what you said um it is good that Dayton has incorporated so much and so many little Easter eggs, but the, the very foundation of this episode sort of came from uh, the trouble with Tribbles and, and rather not the Tribbles, thankfully. Um, it's, <laughs> it's not it's, a single it, Tribble. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, thank goodness. It's more about the surgically altered um, spy. So in this case, it was um, Darwin in the trouble with Tribbles and here it's our three agents. And um, it, it's just really good. That one small aspect of that story and Dayton's picked it up and run with it. Yeah, and it makes, <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Um, it makes total sense because we know from that episode, episode that the Klingon Empire were surgically altering um, some of their 
their spies to make them look human and inserting them into the Federation. Um, and we know that you know, Darwin wouldn't be the only one. Um, I, I don't remember the script word for word from the episode, but I'm assuming that they imply that he's, you know, not the only yeah. spy, a Klingon spy out there. Um, and so it makes perfect sense. The Federation would be doing exactly the same thing, trying to like surgically altering people and inserting them into um, into other en enemy cultures to, to gather information. Uh, we've seen aspects of that from uh, from actual episodes where we've seen uh, Starfleet officers being altered to look like Romulans or to look like Klingons or um, I can't remember if we had a Cardassian or not. But anyway, uh, it makes totally total sense that they would be doing that, and it's lovely to see it from the other side. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's nice to to take that element and then flip it around and say, okay, well, what are our spies doing on the other side of the yeah. the enemy lines? Well, it goes back to again it, it gets you thinking because obviously when when you see that the klingons infiltrating the federation it's like boo the evil klingons are infiltrated but when it's flipped and suddenly you're doing it it's like well is that just as is that just as uh, ethical is that just as good it makes you thinking are we any better than them because we're doing exactly the same thing or are we just maintaining that balance of power yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. There's always two sides to the coin. Um, it's sort of one person's hero is another person's in, uh, yeah. villain. And uh, I can't remember who, who said the quote, but I, there's, I know there's a quote that says it's terrorism when they do it to us. And then the, <laughs> the implication yeah. being, but when we do it, yeah. it's, you know, liberation yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it is. I mean, there's obviously an ethical uh, question there of, of the, the Federation is supposed to be... Um, sort of high-minded and full of moral fiber but at the same time there's the realities of yeah that you can head off a lot of conflict if you have good intelligence on what your enemy are up to and so you know maybe there's a sort of greater good issue going on here to try and avoid conflict and bloodshed and whatever but but at the same time spying is spying well yeah <laughs> <You know? laughs> spying is spying and they weren't it wasn't even just so much that they were they've been spying but they've been actively trying to um derail projects i think one of them was um involved in the the design work and the pr computer programming for the new style of klingon um ship. i can't remember if it was the d7s or something they were working it might have been yes yeah, yeah and uh and they were basically kind of trying to write uh errors into the codes or um or uh, you know, things into the code that will mean that it won't work properly the way that it's supposed to <laughs> so they're they're actively working against the klingons from within their own ranks so it's not just about intelligence gathering so um i don't know that they can I don't know that their hands are entirely clean here. <laughs> no, exactly. And, and I can't say it as well as William Shatner, but uh, it's certainly sabotage on all levels. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the way he says it is, is just brilliant. But yeah. go, going back to the, the rescue attempt, now what surprised me was that the, the ship sent in to um, rescue the, the three operatives is the USS Endeavour. And for those who... who enjoy their stories in some ways this is a follow-up story from star trek vanguard and star trek seekers yeah we get references to both of those uh, series with uh, book series within this novel um, and it's great to follow up with characters that you've met in other the other stories so um, obviously we're familiar with the crew of the endeavor um 
ably captained by, um, let me try not to butcher this, Atish Katami? Yes, yes, that's how I, I pronounce it. Katami, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, he's a great character, a really strong, yeah. um, strong female lead character aboard the, and she, she, sorry, I finished my sentence there, aboard the Endeavour, and she goes, um, she's quite capable of going toe-to-toe with Kirk in terms of, like, uh, savvy and ability to captain the starship and lead her crew. Um, uh, another very proud captain who feels that she's got the best crew in Starfleet. So yeah. it was nice to see the interactions between her and Kirk uh, when he comes to board the, the Endeavour. No, I think so. And um, again, in, in Vanguard, she was only a first officer. And, and as the events of that story unfolded, and she became captain, that led into Seekers, which was really good. And, and, and again, from Dayton's point of view, we asked him about, about bringing these characters on. And as he quite rightly said, if you've already got these established characters that you've created for other stories, as a writer, it's just so much easier to, to bring them along because then you haven't got to create all these backgrounds. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> you know, so for him, it was almost like, well, uh, not a whole chunk, but certainly a, a good part of the story was there ready for him to use the characters. Yeah, exactly. It saves on a lot of exposition if you've already done that in a previous book. You don't need to rehash it with um, with new characters. Uh, so, yeah, it was great to see them again. And I think for anybody who hasn't read those series, I mean, they do enough introduction for each character that you get a feel for the type of person that they are. Um, but obviously, if you've read the books, you'll have a broader understanding of their backstory and where they've been and what's led them to that point. So, um, yeah, really good. And I like, I think there was a lot of really great scenes within uh, the Endeavour crew and especially like the way that they reacted to the three um, Klingon, well, not Klingon operatives, sorry, uh, yeah. <laughs> Federation not Starfleet operatives who are have been altered to look like Klingons uh, when they come aboard the ship because they're... Uh, they, they know that these are, are Starfleet officers who have um, done a great service to the Federation, um, that they're not really Klingons, but it's very, they find it very difficult not to react to them as if they are Klingons because of the way that they look and, yeah. and the way that they sound. And um, so they, there's a bit of sort of, um, from the character point of view, the thoughts going on in their head where you you find out, out about their internal struggle with their own innate um, prejudice yeah. and how they're having to overcome that um, and that they realise that they they automatically want to react differently to these people yeah. because they look like a sort of a traditional enemy of the of the Federation but that they really work to get past that and that they become very accepting and they will end up working alongside them and that um, in the end at the very very end when they um, return to having had the surgical alterations undone they return to looking human that actually it's weird for them yeah. <laughs> uh, they find it odd to not see them in their Klingon um, makeup and everything so I, I like the the way that they they deal with that sort of innate prejudice that they identify within themselves that they don't like um, and I think that it was a really interesting uh, the way that they interacted with them because they also knew that there was a risk or there's always a risk with people who've been undercover for so long that they could have been turned yeah. and now be working as a double agent in the other direction yeah. and when things start to unfold on the endeavour and things start to go wrong and they it becomes evident that there's sabotage afoot 
obviously they want they would be the most likely candidates um and then there's the struggle with yeah. with they're the most likely candidates but they feel differently about them now and they don't want it to be them and they kind of feel that it's probably that it, it wouldn't make sense for it to be them but at the same time that's in the back of their mind yeah. and so there's a real different dynamic that goes on because they've got to work and fight alongside these people but at the same time that you're never on a sure footing as to what side they're playing for so very much so and, and again that's that's apart from the story that star trek at its best because it gets you thinking about those prejudices and um when you start to question your own prejudices and and especially in the times we're in at the moment it, it's quite apt really um so that was really good writing on, on that side now um within the story itself we mentioned this bodged rescue attempt and and um not not to have a go at the endeavor obviously and and sort of defend them a bit here it wasn't entirely their fault because again dayton has taken a snippet from another episode and he's he's um run with that as well and that that snippet is actually from another tribble episode believe it or not more tribbles more troubles but this time it's a animated episode from tas and, it, and it's the secret Klingon weapon, which um, holds the ship and uh, sort of drains your power. And he's run with that story as well on a, on a larger scale. Yeah, and again, it's, it's wonderful when uh, authors can take something that was mentioned in another part of the, of the, the franchise and then adapt that to fit the story that, that they're writing. So, yeah, that is, it's, it was... To me, total sense the way that it fit in here, um, the fact that within this asteroid field, um, they were the Klingons were using it as a, like a kind of testing post uh, to see if it would work. They're in league with their Orions, and basically they're testing their weapon to see if it's capable of disabling a, sh a starship. And then the Orions are kind of taking their payment by then raiding. Uh, those those starships while they're incapacitated and um the endeavor i actually thought that the way that the endeavor um dealt with being attacked by the weapon was really clever because because they actually take the saucer section and separate it which we don't see on a constitution start no. class starship in tos uh, but they take this they separate off the saucer section and then they um they hide it in in like the, the divot of, of a large asteroid and um, so it's kind of sunken down and nestles into this divot of the asteroid and they they hide out on the nas on, on an asteroid and wait to be rescued and um, meanwhile making the uh, the Klingons and the Orions initially think that they've been destroyed because I believe that they blow up the the star drive section yes, right. um, and then they kind of escape during the explosion yes. so that uh, it looks like the whole ship has gone up actually they they move everybody onto the, the saucer section and then go hide in a in a hole <laughs> yeah. go hide in a hole and wait to be rescued uh, which i thought was just a really clever plan um for, for saving her crew so more power to the the command deck <laughs> yeah it, it, it's certainly one i i've sorry I put in my notes that this is almost a spy movie crossover with with a disaster movie because for the endeavor, if it can go wrong, it it does go wrong. <laughs> um, everything, you know, one thing after another, from from the initial encounter with a, a Klingon warship to um, coming to the uh, Klingon weapon to crashing onto the asteroid. And then everything else that happens to them, because there's some really exciting scenes coming along, and we don't want to spoil it too much. 
because it, it's such a great book. But it really is one thing after another, and it really just does feel like The Tower in Inferno or one of those classic 70s disaster yeah, movies. Yeah, an adventure. Yeah. <laughs> <like that>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what can happen next, literally? And, and you get it, you know, each chapter, there just seems to be more and more piling on. Yeah, and it isn't a case as it would be maybe if it was a TOS episode, it isn't the case that the Enterprise um, just swoops in and saves the day. Uh, it's actually like Kirk and Uhura and Sulu um, take a, a, ship, a smaller ship, like a, a civilian ship, and they go off into the asteroid belt and they manage to get themselves onto the Endeavour. But meanwhile, they're cut off from the Enterprise. So the Enterprise actually spends most of the book just like, messing around on the edge of the asteroid <laughs> belt like waiting to hear uh, and trying to keep out of the way of the Klingons um, and uh, and it, so it's actually we're really just down to three characters and I really got to say I love what Dayton did um, with the characters on this episode especially yeah. on this episode I always want to call it the episode on this <laughs> book rather um, especially Uhura because Uhura, Uhura is kick-ass in this book yeah she is like constantly saving the day by being a communications expert by being a computer programming expert by just being a really competent capable starfleet officer who comes up with solutions and fixes and and knows what she's looking for and what she's doing there is no swooning there is no Currying into the shoulder yeah. <laughs> of a male officer nearby because yeah. you're terrified. There, ah, it's always my biggest issue with TOS is just that the women are portrayed as such set dressing women yeah. who are constantly turning to the male characters yeah. for reassurance, which just makes me scream for God's sake, you're a Starfleet <laughs> officer at the uh, at the screen. But uh, but Dayton has totally uh, brought the characters up to up to modern standards yeah. in this book so Uhura is it's very it's very definitely I hear and see Nichelle Nichols in my head when I'm when I'm reading it it's definitely her iteration of uh, Uhura but there's so many elements from the Zoe Saldana yeah. uh, JJ verse Uhura in that she is super intelligent capable communications officer and so she's really helpful in this she has some real key like moments where she helps um further the rescue effort or helps to uncover the sab the saboteur and, and um, work out what it is that's been going on so she's really like constantly kind of saving the day uh, even though we don't see her a lot but every time she comes in yeah. <laughs> she sort of comes in does something amazing goes away comes in does something amazing goes away and I, I really appreciated the fact that the women in this book are portrayed as real competent capable officers um which is so refreshing for a tos story no, it's true. And um, that, that's why the books are so good, because they have taken that weakness of the TV show. And even with the secondary characters like um, Sulu and Chekhov and, and, and even Scotty to an extent, the books over the years um, have been able to take those characters and show us that there are a lot more than hailing frequencies open or II walk factor one captain and, and things like that. Because as we know, TV was very centric on the, the lead or the, the couple of main leads. Um, in, in the 60s and 70s, but now at least the books have defined these characters a lot better. And now we understand why they are the best crew in Starfleet. 
which which is really good so thank goodness for the books on that aspect yeah it just makes the crew much more well-rounded as you said um, and there's still all the key elements in there that you would want from a tos story i mean you've still got um, mccoy is back on the ship with with spock and you've got the interplay between the two of them about how they should proceed um spock is in command but um and and he obviously want, doesn't want any harm to come to his crewmates or the endeavor but he is wanting to go about it in a much more logical and methodical by the book sort of a way whereas as always mccoy is being driven by his emotions and is just can't believe that spock is not and, and not just spock but spock and the admiral uh, admiral nagura are not wanting to just barrel in all guns blazing and go and get their people out and and get them all back to federation space so there's the interplay there and then obviously kirk is is kirk he is um looking at it working out the the best tactical option to get all of his people it doesn't want to leave any man behind um and it, it they they play up on that i think one of the best bits is when um uh dayton has one of the other characters say uh on a on a scale of one to kirk yeah, <laughs> what is this yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, because yeah. they're aware of his his penchant for getting out of uh, difficult yeah. scrapes yeah. with her like amazingly ingenious but also terrifying and risky plans <laughs> uh, and yeah. i just i just love that that bit made me laugh <laughs> yeah that, that was good and, and and spock as well even though we don't really see much of spock because as you say he's on the enterprise with admiral nagura um we see we see him a lot more comfortable in command, which I noticed as I was reading, because again, in the original series, he hadn't been in command much, and we had the episode the Galileo Seven, where he's he's still finding his footing, leading a team. But by this point in the novel, he, he he's commanding the Enterprise brilliantly, uh, very efficiently, as as a Vulcan would say, and and then that was enjoyable to read, and also the way he he handled uh, Nagura without handling him, if that makes sense. Yeah, because it's a difficult situation for anyone in command of a starship when some when you're not the highest ranking officer yeah. on the ship like so the admiral was there and the admiral in theory could override him um and and over like take control and, and so there's a balancing act between taking taking on board the opinions and and desires of the of the admiral and what they want to accomplish from the the mission and what their priorities are and balancing those with your priorities in captaining the ship and taking care of your crew and making sure that you you accomplish what you're trying to accomplish so he yeah there was a real balancing act and i think that spock walked that line really well especially when especially when he had uh, mccoy nipping his ear at every yeah. possible I mean, you gotta admit there's gotta be a point at which you just go for god's sake go back to sick bay there is yeah. nothing for you to be standing on the bridge giving me a hard time <laughs> within the story the agents are discovered and we do see the fallout from the federation's point of view because obviously they have to go and rescue these these agents and and we see what happens but what i really enjoyed in this story was that we see the flip side of that and we see the fallout from the klingons point of view and again we've already mentioned the spy side of it we also have the disaster movie but there is the political side too and we get to see quite a bit on chronos with the with the klingon chancellor and and the ramifications of of these agents isn't it yeah and i think that it's always 
good storytelling to give your your baddies or your villains or whatever uh, the opportunity to to see things from their point of view because um it's very easy to have very black and white good guys and bad guys but the more the interesting stories take place in the gray areas where everybody has their own motivations and um here we get to see that the internal um, political upheaval and concerns that the Klingon Empire has over discovering that these Federation spies have, have not only managed to infiltrate their their I'm not sure government uh, but but certainly high up in their military and science and the um, building and designing of their defense force fleet um and and not only to find that they've infiltrated but that they've been there for three yeah. years <laughs> and in three years they have absolutely no idea what extent they have compromised things um whether they're going to have to scrap their new design of ship because they can't be sure that there's not they've not built um you know sabotaged the code or the the computer systems or um, aspects of the, the hardware design or whatever and and so you get to see that this is this is a huge blow and if you are the chancellor of the Klingon Empire and you suddenly find out this information you, this is a headache <laughs> this is yeah. a big <laughs> headache for you and it was really interesting to see what, the effect that that had from the very highest station in the land the chancellor right down to like one of the scientists on the ground and how their life's work is now in peril because of the actions of the Federation. And you do have a lot of sympathy for them as individual characters because you see how how devastating a, a turn of events this is for them um, in their individual lives, um, never mind for the Klingon Empire as a whole. Exactly. And again, you know, normally when when you have aspects of a political side within story, it, it's sometimes in a story it slows things down because there is a lot more dialogue. And um, but this didn't happen again. It, it felt very natural. Um, they they were put in in the story in 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 a way that it it didn't break the story up too much. It kept the pace, and and that was really nice too. Yeah, and I think again there was sort of little references here and there. So um, I think it was in, uh, I think it was an episode of TNG where we first get the, the Klingon roar when somebody dies. Um, it might have been when Kalar is killed in TNG and, and Worf does his, his roar. Um, and we find out that that is them announcing to, uh, to the, the heavens. Stovacor, that's the one. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> and then things to that our warrior is is arrival yeah. is imminent, and um and we get a sort of reference to little things like that that we've learned from the TV series in this book. So when uh, this one of the Klingons who seems to have failed in his duties to the Empire is killed, and they make reference to the fact that nobody roars and yeah. and that he is deemed not worthy and of of that announcement, and that he will have to navigate his way to the the um the afterlife all on his own because he's just totally botched this uh, and that just little things like that i think really round out the universe and just give you a little bit more detail and a little bit and and they they could be seen as just throwaway moments but cumulatively they really make it a much richer story yeah yeah absolutely so 
we mentioned the the really exciting beginning and and, and the fast pace, but throughout the story, there's these really well written action scenes on the endeavor. Um, there's there's a fight with the Orions, which is, which is action packed on on top of the saucer section, and um, just just throughout, it, there's not too much action, so it takes away from the story, um, but it's enough to 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 balance it, isn't it? And, and that's what I really liked about about those scenes. Yeah, it, you're right. It is a good balance between action and um, plot development. Uh, so you do have the walking through a corridor on the ship, yeah. having a conversation <laughs> sort of yeah. scenes, or, you know, what's going on inside a character's head in the 10 seconds leading up to them meeting a new person or whatever. You get, you get a lot of that, but you also get the space battles and the running gunfights and the siege and the you know attacks and and backstabbing and sabotage and it's all yeah. very action-packed it is really probably the best balance between a traditional kind of spy thriller drama of the six sort of 60s and 70s yeah. mixed with star trek and a bit of um disaster movie it, you're right yeah. it is it's a really good balance it was extremely exciting to read and um that all the characters were really well developed i don't really i really don't think there was a weak link in this book it was just no. a real exciting satisfying romp <laughs> yeah I, I think so too there was there was nothing wrong with this story uh, you know i i think um all the all the characters had something to do for the you know for the ones who were key to the story they all had something to do no one was surplus to requirements there was twist after twist after twist and you you didn't know at some point who was who and 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 that was good that was great writing too and again as we say um you know the enterprise comes in and and, and kirk and spock and again, it's not overwhelming in the sense that they're the only ones who can save the day. And I, and I like, really like that because it would be easy, wouldn't it, just to have the Enterprise come in and I'm Captain Kirk, I'm taking over and this is what we're going to do and everything, you know, and the day is saved. But Dayton avoids that and, and, and he makes them work together, the two crews, and, and it just works out really, really well. Yeah, and I think the twist at the end is satisfying. I we've said we'll try not to give it away, yeah. <laughs> even though we think we might have already given it away yeah. in the other the other yeah. episode. <laughs> but um, it, the twist at the end is satisfying. Um, I like the reasoning given behind who the saboteur ends up being, uh, mm. and I think that it, it works really seamlessly into this story. So I really enjoyed it. I'd love to see more of these types of novels because just as Darwin won't have been the only Klingon spy within the Federation, these can't possibly be the only Federation spies within the Klingon Empire. And I think seeing either side's stories would be really good um, going forward in, in the novels. I'd love to see what Klingons are doing behind Federation lines, and I'd love to see more of what uh, Federation spies are coming up with to give the Klingons a headache. <laughs> Yeah, it would be really good. And I remember I joked with Dayton about they should have an impossible missions force, like a Mission Impossible, yeah. have that twist on there. And, and that, that would work really well. But it's just such a, a fun story. It's a, it's a fun, exciting story. And um, I know we both definitely recommend it to the listeners uh, to, to take a read of. Yeah, and I think, I think one of the refreshing things about this 
story after a lot of the others that we had um, in the last couple of years um, in the, the the Star Trek continuity pre-Picard because um, obviously things have changed now that, that that's kind of I don't know what they're going to do different timeline or whatever but in the previous continuity over the last few years we've had quite a lot of spy drama but it's all been section 31 yeah and this was not this was a spy drama that didn't have anything to do with section 31 or if it did it's never ever mentioned this is yeah. very much starfleet intelligence this is not section 31 this is starfleet this is starfleet intelligence they're you know it's a little bit cloak and dagger but there's a record of it like they know that they've yeah. got people behind yeah. enemy lines this is not um you know super secretive black ops stuff this is oh, by the book we know what's happening so and that was quite refreshing because it's a different feel it's much more yeah like traditional kind of mission impossible style yeah. spy craft rather than the dark and gritty yeah. more modern section 31 stuff uh, which no. I, I enjoyed because um, as much as I like the Section 31 stories, they're they're quite dark and this wasn't dark at all. This was quite um, light-hearted action, which, yeah, much more kind of Mission Impossible style than Section 31 yeah. style. No, I'm with you. I, I think like the Borg, Section 31 has been overused now, mm -hmm. um, whether it be in books or, or on the on screen. Um, so yeah, no, this was, this was perfect and, and it's a great, great story. Yeah. No, highly recommend it. I'm, I'm glad that we got to read it. I'm glad, really glad that we got to talk to Dayton about it. Um, this, what he had to say about the process of writing it, coming up with the story. Um, that was all really interesting and I, I think the viewers are going to, viewers, listeners even, I think our <laughs> listeners are really going to enjoy uh, hearing the interview and Dayton's thoughts on, on this book. Um, but definitely uh, Star Trek Agents of Influence, uh, grab a copy from your favourite bookstore, e-reader store, audible, audiobook provider, <laughs> wherever you absorb your literature, uh, we highly recommend this book to you. So that's it for this show. Um, as we mentioned at the beginning, there is a lot more to come. So stay with us and don't forget to turn the page for your next adventure. <laughs>